Your story is phenomenal. I hope it helps somebody out there. I'm sure it has. You've, you've gone through a whole lot of ebbs and flows and you still land up on top. And congratulations for that. It's been a joy talking Thank you to you. So much. Welcome to Clicks and Bricks podcast. We talk about the entrepreneur mindset. If you get one shot at this, what kind of shot are you going to take? If we forget who we are, they're going to forget who you are. You've got an adversity story that's out of this world. Everything from that Main Street brick and mortar to that billion dollar manufacturer. Today, we're talking to Greg from Bowties Limited. He's been doing business online since 2004, selling neckties. He's got a couple pivots in his story. Super excited to introduce you. How are you doing today, Greg? Fine, Ken. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and how you got started in this bow tie industry? Sure. Um, so my background is actually I was a, a practicing attorney in Chicago um, for about eight years. And in my seventh year, uh, my wife and I had one of those moments that a lot of us experience where um, you as a consumer say, hey, why is this a certain way? Why don't they make this? Why is this so expensive? In our case, I was wearing a tie, uh, getting ready for work, and my then, I don't know, two or three-year-old son threw cereal right on my tie. And I, I, of course, was annoyed, frustrated. I just spent about 60 or $70 on this tie, and it was basically ruined. And I said, why, why are ties so expensive? That does not seem to make sense. So I got home that night, um, and I played online um, a little bit, and I found what's now a well-known website, although in 2004, not many people had heard of it, called Alibaba, and uh, Alibaba.com. And I went on Alibaba, and um, as many of you know, it's a, a great site to find manufacturers. And my wife and I did some searching and found um, some necktie suppliers. I started asking some questions, and I had learned that silk neckties made in China were about $2.10. I thought, that's a hell of a margin. Um, so we started uh, asking more questions, asking for samples to be sent to us to, so we can look at them. Um, as it turned out, you know, the cost was a little, a little higher for a better tie. Of course, there's duties, there's shipping costs. Um, later on became design costs and so forth. But we realized that ties did not have to be so expensive. And we found this idea or came up with this idea for selling ties for a lesser amount. Now, remember, this is before the recession. The recession changed consumer habits a lot, where I think everybody's now looking for value-driven products. But back then, there was this belief uh, for some products, including neckties, that the more money you spend, uh, the better it must be. Um, we tried to change the way that people thought as far as neckties went. Came up with a price point of $15. And um, we, you know, it's funny that we were one of the very first men's fashion companies ever built online. We weren't selling in stores, but it wasn't, wasn't brilliance or foresight like, oh, the internet's going to be big. It was really because no store would have sold our stuff. It was ugly. <laughs> it was uh, not trendy. It was just, you know, some, some uh, very basic stuff. Um, and so we had no place to sell it except the internet. That was basically the only place we could do it. So um, we sold, uh, yeah, so we set up really in six months by the time we had gotten all the samples and come up with some ideas. They, we got some swatch books sent to us and we came up with our first collection about five months later. Um, we had, or six months later, we had, um, 6,000 or 7,000 neckties just show up in our garage. I had to carry these things to the basement during that time. We'd been working on our first website and within six months we launched. We went from like idea to business in six months. And so that's kind of how we got started.
did you leave the being an attorney at that point or did you did you do both jobs for a little while yeah for about one year i did both uh, my wife during the day would help fulfill whatever orders we had and there weren't many right um and then i'd come home at night and worked really hard on basically trying to get our name out so back then you know believe it or not google wasn't as as uh prevalent as it is now, um, it was more Yahoo and MSN. Uh, and we would do little search word campaigns. Um, it was a company called Overture that used to do Yahoo and MSN, and then a little bit of Google. Um, but I also used to research and reach out to fashion editors who wrote for newspapers or blogs or whatever. And I would write a little bit of a pitch uh, about our company, our purpose, um, you know, our mission, uh, our products. And I would send literally you know, I'm not even kidding, probably a few hundred emails over a period of a few months, hoping someone would write about us. And um, we actually got small snippets of press along the way, and it did okay. And about a year after we launched, um, we got a phone call from the Chicago Tribune. We were based in the Chicago uh, suburb. Uh, they had just done an article, they had just written an article on whether you could tell the difference between a $200 pair of jeans and a $30 pair of jeans premium denim back then was just sort of getting started. And I reached out to the editor and I said, Hey, you know, we sort of have this business model with the same idea that, that there, you can't tell the difference between a very expensive necktie and a less expensive necktie. So she sort of bid on that. She called us, we did a phone interview with her. Um, and it came out about a year after we um, launched and it really changed our business in one day, completely transformed. So I, I always remember the day before the article came out, we had nine orders, which actually was not a terrible day for us back then. So maybe we had sold, I don't know, 20 neckties. The next day when the article came out, we had 206 orders. So that, and, and I can't remember how many neckties we sold. We basically had sold out virtually all of our stock by like, the, so that was a Sunday. By that Tuesday, everything was gone. Um, we had, we reached out to our supplier. We had some rush stuff rushed in. Basically, after a month of staying hot, you know, we weren't that hot. We were maybe doing 50 a day, all from that press, believe it or not, that one story in the Chicago Tribune. Um, but after a month, my wife looked at me and said, you know, we made more money in the last 30 days than you did as a lawyer. Have you thought about quitting? And I, it actually had never, never crossed my mind to stop practicing law. But um, she actually talked me into it, which I was surprised with. Um, and she, I quit my job and uh, she and I ran the company from our basement um, from that point forward and really never looked back. And you still probably haven't been completely out of law because running a business, there's a lot of law there. Do you think that it saved you significantly having that law background running your business? Well, I will say the steady paycheck certainly helped for that first year. Um, right. But yeah, I, you know, it's funny, like I don't really um, refer to the law um, oftentimes in my business. Like the legal background matters a lot less than just the way that being a lawyer um, taught me how to think, problem solve, be resourceful, which to me is always the number one um, attribute of any entrepreneur is being resourceful. It, it taught me that I can always find the answer. There is an answer and, and you just have to learn how to go find it. 
And so like, that's the part that really helped me not knowing trademark law. Like it didn't matter that I, I okay, I filed our own trademark, big deal. I could have done that through legal zoom for $275 or whatever it is. Right. It was really all just the way that I, I learned how to think as a lawyer. And it really helped me and still does to this day run a business. Right. So you are, and I've been online since, you know, 14 baud modems. So I've been online for longer than most people on the planet. But so I, I'm really familiar with this, you know, 99, the dot-com bust, all those things. I was here for it. It was a lot of fun. Um, and I say that sarcastically in the, most, in the most biggest way, because I lost a, a a small fortune in that bust. We had the dot-com bust in 20, in 2000, it was really easy to get money from VCs and go online and do all those things. But in 2004, it's a wildly different ball game. It was hard to get money for programmers. You couldn't get any money for marketing services online because nobody really trusted it. How was your mindset, you know, going into that, dealing with friends and family? You said, you know, people would ask you what you do for a living and you, you had a, a great little story there. Can you share that with the audience? And some of those trials that you had early after you left law and you were doing this full time. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just tell you, we never raised a penny the way that we had money was based, we were fortunate. We had, we, we bought a home, um, which actually I had to move out of because my wife decided to uh, quit her job and watch our, our child full time. And so we actually had a downsize, but as a result, we had a lot of equity, not a lot, but some equity in our home. So when we started our business, we actually took out all the equity, which is about $50,000. So we took a home equity loan, which was a second mortgage. And that's how we started our business, never raised a penny. And then after that, never borrowed money again. We only grew the company as we made profits. Um, so that's kind of how we got started. As right. far as like the story that you were asking me. Um, yeah, I mean, like, so remember, I was a lawyer. So people would say, what do I do for a living? I'm a lawyer. That's an easy conversation. But it soon turned into what do you do for a living? The answer was I sell ties on the Internet. And in, in that time, let's say it's 2005, 2006. And people are looking at me like, well, you know, what do you do full time? And I used to always like, I found it insulting, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, I, you don't ask a doctor, what do you do for your full time job? Um, why are they asking me that question? But it could be how I, of course, explained it, right? Because it was in our basement. I sell ties on the internet from our basement. It does kind of sound like a hobby. Um, but anyway, yeah, so we did that. And we were, by the way, we were still in our home for about four years. Um, so that took a while to get out and that's fine. I mean, we were doing in our fourth year over a million in sales and I had no shame in the fact that it was in our home. I think I had a problem more so that we had a couple of employees that would come in and I'm still in my bathrobe drinking coffee when they came in for work. But other than that, you know, it's okay uh, running it from home. Eventually we moved out into an office cause we had to hire more people. But, um, but those are definitely some of the issues, you know, when you get started as figuring out when it is sort of like no longer a hobby and is now like full on job. And, you know, when do you, when you make a few bucks, do you take that money and like pocket it or do you reinvest it in the business or do you do some of one, some of the other? And we just always kept investing it. I mean, that was sort of our goal. And I know for a lot of people out there, they think $50,000 seems like a whole lot of money, almost an unachievable amount of money. But when you're starting a business, $50,000 can go by really, really quickly if you don't have other income and because and out of your, that's paying your salary, it's buying your inventory, all of those things that I would consider $50,000 starting a company like this, a bootstrapped effort by far. Um, I've done it for less and I've done it with more, but it's challenging either way. There is no question that starting an e-commerce business in 2022 with $50,000 is not possible. 
period. I mean, there is, there is, it's a Hail Mary if I've ever seen one. Right. Um, and at the time, programmers bit, were even really expensive, right? The, the, the process of even charging a credit card online in 2004 was infinitely more challenging than it is today. It was. Um, there were no platforms like Shopify and WooCommerce. We would have to, you, we had a custom uh, website built, basically. Right. And every little feature we wanted cost us more money. All of our money was spent on inventory in the website. Um, right. But but the difference was, is if I wanted to advertise necktie on Google or Yahoo, it would cost me like 12 cents a, a, cli uh, a click. <laughs> and today and it costs you almost as much as the tie. Yeah, right. All right. Exactly. So there's like literally, you know, there's nothing that's 12 cents anymore. No, so nothing at all. We, there's no question, you know, like I, I uh, read the book um, uh, Outliers by uh, yep. Malcolm Gladwell. And he talks about how like in the mid 50s, Bill Gates and all these guys were all born in the mid 50s. And that's why they succeeded in the, I don't know what you call it, the computer generation, whatever you want to call it. Steve Jobs, I think there were a few more. So they also, and, and a lot of it had to do with, they were a product of their time. Just the timing was perfect through no credit of their own. I am definitely the same way. You know, we got started at the perfect time by accident, you know, not, not by design. And I had mentioned this in the pre-interview back then, the, the department stores and bigger chains like a Brooks Brother or Joseph A. Bank, they either didn't have websites or they sold very few SKUs on their website. So my only competition were basically other schmucks like me selling stuff from their basement. So I was like the most successful schmuck of all of them. And that's how I, that's how we got built. You try something like what I did today, it's easily uh, somewhere between a half million and a million dollars, easily just to get off the ground. Right, absolutely, to get it to that scale. But I would argue also today it's easier, way easier than it was and for a lot of kids out there selling 10 or 20 ties a day at $20 profit, that's a good living, right? It doesn't, it's gonna be their only job, but they could do that today within some kind of reason if they wanted to. It's definitely, it's easier to run a business on the side right now. There's definitely no question. And I always encourage people to do that. Don't just quit their job and do it full time. I think you gotta dip your toe. You gotta work your ass off, work two jobs for a year or so. And when the, if the timing is right, and if it looks right, then you go in full time. That is really good advice. Now you run the business, you're growing it, couple million a year revenue, and you sell that company, correct? Yeah, I, when we sold the business at that point, we were on track to do, I think, 19 million a year. So we had really grown. We had grown every year uh, since our since the start, and we just kind of like were taking off. And in fact, people ask me, you know, why would I sell a business that was taking off? And the answer is because nothing ever went wrong for us, and it's inevitable that something will go wrong. And so I, I just had a feeling, whether in a macro or a micro sense. You know, things couldn't be perfect forever. So we um, decided to sell the business. We met, you know, like we hired an investment banker and we met with, uh, I don't even know, seven or eight different private equity groups, pitched them, got a bunch of offers. It was like, a great, again, pure luck, great time to sell in 2013, an e-commerce business. And uh, so, yeah, we had an exit back then. And, you know, that was the end of my, the first chapter of my e-commerce life was in 2013. Right. And then some time goes by, you've got a non-compete that goes by, you're living your life, probably pretty happy, right? 
Um, yes and no. I mean, like the, the fears of paying the bills were gone, but right. I was 40 years old and bored out of my mind. We moved okay. to Florida. We sort of started over. And, you know, most guys who are in their 40s are have jobs and can talk about their jobs. And I'm sitting there not really doing much. I started, I actually helped build um, an incubator called Tech Runway at Florida Atlantic University. It was part of the team that built that. I worked for a real estate crowdfunding company. Like I tried to do little things, keep me busy. But the truth is like, I, it wasn't like a full, I had nothing that was like a true full-time gig. And I was bored and I was unsatisfied with my life. But yeah, those were five long years. And then, uh, as I had mentioned in the pre-interview, uh, one of my former competitors when my non-compete ended, and, and actually what happened was my non-compete ended and I put something on LinkedIn Hey everyone, my non-compete ended. If anyone would like to talk, and I think that's how right. we started the dialogue. Um, so that's uh, yeah. So then this old competitor reached out to me, asked me if I would be interested in joining their company as a partner. Um, I flew out to Vermont. Uh, I had known who they were for years. I always admired them. In fact, um, they were more of like a bow tie company. If they make neckties, uh, they make a lot of products, but bow ties was always their thing. Um, wasn't doing so hot, to be honest. Uh, I went out there, I met with the staff. And in one day I said to myself, this is, this looks like a great new challenge. Um, so actually, instead of joining as a partner, I made him an offer to just buy the whole company, which I did. And uh, three weeks later, I closed and bought the business, which I've now owned for almost three years. And that is Bowties Online, right? Bowties Limited. Yeah. That's my, but my current company, Bowties of Vermont, bowtiesltd.com. Okay. And yeah. obviously there's not a huge demand for bow ties in America, right? And because we we just don't see them as we're walking down the street and stuff like that. You had, right. you, you gave us a story and you, you gave me a, an X number that you grew the business during this pandemic. Can you tell the story, what your X factor was and how you did that and, and where you pivoted to when you saw an opportunity kind of the mindset on, you know, what told you let's go in all in on this. So the men's neckwear industry as a whole was actually starting to go up quite a bit in 2013 when I sold the company. Again, one of the lucky factors of, of the whole thing. By time I got back in in 2019, when I bought this company, it was going down quite a bit. I remember people saying, why are you buying a bow tie company? Nobody wears bow ties anymore. And uh, I was like, that's a great point. Anyway, I'm buying it. So I uh, so yes, bow tie sales in 2019 were not great. The company had been going down in sales quite a bit year after year over year for several years. I looked at that as like a challenge. Um, I quickly came in. We created a line of dress shirts, um, shoes, underwear, and I was ready to sort of build this out into a little bit more of a lifestyle brand. And then eight nine months later, after I bought the company, came COVID. So only a few people wearing bow ties 